Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. That's me. And Larry Korea. A time to laugh and a time to weep, a time to mourn, and there is a time to dance. And there was a time for this law, but not anymore. See, this is our time to dance. Today's episode, The Characters of Forbidden Topics. Sorry, it's a good day. Anytime I can quote Footloose. (laughs) Alright, so... Over the past, uh, past month, Larry and I tackled two subjects. Two of the three forbidden topics... Being religion and politics. The stuff you don't, you're not supposed to talk about around the uh, family gathering dinner table. Right, right. And now for, for Larry and I, one, we always talk about those anyway. But um, in terms of the forbiddenness of the topics, the ideas, the idea that we, we, that we kept bringing up in, in those two episodes were in your worlds, whether science fiction, fantasy, whatever. To avoid those topics completely is perhaps letting your characters down. Well, it's kind of dishonest. It's yeah. kind of, and if you go back and listen to those episodes, I think we had a good time on that too, because it's stuff that people are kind of afraid to tackle for various reasons. But if you do tackle these subjects in your books, whether they're fantasy or sci-fi or whatever, you're you're building a richer, deeper, more fulfilled world, a more realistic world, a more relatable world for the readers. Because human beings, you're writing about people or aliens that are like unto us, whatever it may be, we've got these things, and they're 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 living experiences that we have. And so, if we want our characters to feel like living, breathing people, they're going to have religious or political beliefs, or a lack thereof. Right, and and whatever that choice is. It's an intentional choice on your side as the author. Now, again, just to be clear, we are not talking about um, the ham-fisted insertion of like our world's real politics and real religions into, you know, to, to make a political statement of your yeah. own. And we use some examples of that, how it's done. Like I said, we could smell the Hormel from across the room right. where it's so ham-fisted. Where every every depending on when the book was written, every villain is a thinly veiled Dick Cheney mm-hmm. or George Bush or Donald Trump or whatever right. the book was written, whatever it may be. Today we want to talk about like writing characters that have these beliefs, but having them be organic to the world. I'm not saying make them good. I'm not saying make them bad. They could be evil. They could mm-hmm. be horrible, awful, bad people. Because you need horrible, awful, bad people in our books. Well, and. And in all of the things, regardless of what your political or religious uh, beliefs are, there are examples of extreme good and examples of extreme bad and everything in between in whatever belief system you adhere to. Yeah, anytime you take a a broad enough swath of humanity, they're united on one thing, it's, in real life, it's complete foolishness to assume that they're like on every other way. Yeah. I mean, just because two people wind up on the same side of one debate does not make them equivalent in any other way other than they agree on this one thing. And they might not even agree on that one thing for the same reasons. No, no, no. I mean, talking about characters, right? When when you have, there, there's the famous saying, the, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Look, you ain't friends. That's actually a terrible saying. Yeah, Because it stupid. really isn't. No, but... But what you see in a lot of fiction in terms of, of you know literature and or movies is you see people that unite against a common um, 
a common op form of opposition. Um, but like you said, oftentimes their, their, their own personal methodologies or their own personal ethos or whatever the frick you want to call it are radically different. Right. It all has to do with what am I getting out of it in the end? To use a real world example of current events that are going on right now in the world. Oh, how uh, come you're inserting current world politics well, into our story? For, for example, we've seen where there's been political alliance. I'm going to, I'll keep this kind of vague, but right now we have a war going on in the Middle East, right? Right. We had one side did a horrific, horrific terrorist attack. Right. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah. And all of a sudden you had a bunch of people who were on, in America thousands and thousands of miles away, a totally different politics, who were united, you know, on their thing. And all of a sudden there's a division on their side where one side is like, yay, terrorism is good. And the other people who are on the same political divide as these guys on every other topic are like, wait, what? Yeah. And it's been really interesting to me to see this, like, realization that just because you guys are on the same side of, you know, gun control or abortion or Black Lives Matter or climate change or whatever the hell thing is along comes a different topic and and all of a sudden i'm seeing people like they're expected to like hey we agree on all this other stuff we're supposed to agree on everything I'm like no not today and i'm seeing people on this other side like whoa whoa wait a minute what yeah 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 and so guys humans are complicated all right mm -hmm. if we're writing humans and we're writing realistic humans they're going to be complicated there are going to be people out there who have stuff that you believe that you find abhorrent and there's going to be stuff that you believe that they're going to hate and want you to die for well, and, and, and a lot of times the, when you're slicing and dicing these things, it's like, it's like the knife, the super sharp knife commercials. Well, what's, what's one of the first things they do when they show you how sharp that knife is? They like get a tomato and they like cut like the finest little layer off of it. I'm like, wow, that's great. Can it cut through like a big old brisket? That's what I need to know today. Um, my point is. Oftentimes the, the differences that a lot of people share um, are, are, are very thin, but when pushed into a corner, those small, those small differences um, actually mean a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, because it, it, de it depends on the context of like what the subject is. Because mm -hmm. if it's a background thing that this person believes wildly different for you, but it's not a topic that comes up, and that's fine. It, that's the same kind of thing in fiction. It might not matter that they have this really goofy belief about something. There are people who I've seen where like they they seem like reasonable people. Like I'm following them on the internet. I'm reading something they wrote. Like politically, is like okay, that, you know, this guy makes sense. And then he'll talk about like how the moon landing was obviously faked, and I'll be like, whoa, yeah. okay, okay, buddy. All's fair and reasonable <laughs> until they bring up flat Earth. Yeah, there's always there's a thing. So people. <laughs> People believe weird crap. Yeah. And there is weird... And I'm sure there's somebody who's going to get mad at us in the comments of this podcast because, oh, how, yeah. How dare we not believe in the flat earth and the moon Larry landing. Larry Korea is one of those globe people. <laughs> he thinks the world is round, dumb idiot. I guarantee that'll happen. I think um, it's round. I think it's a sphere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all the other planets are round. I mean, we can see them, right? <laughs> I mean... People all around the globe have these theories that it's a flat earth. Like, um, it, That's why my powerful telescope can see the Himalayas from my house. I wish. Yeah. But, you know, the, to your point though, people believe all sorts of different things. Sometimes it's a radical difference. Sometimes it's everything seems fine on the surface and then there's one 
distinct issue um, to, to which there is no commonality amongst folk. I have friends, I have people who I'm friends with who there are certain subjects that we will never broach. Yeah. Because there will be no way that we could have this conversation about this topic without me calling them names. Yeah. You know, and we would never be friends again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and of course I'm the same way. And I must really like them to get to that point because you know how quick I am to be like, (laughs) no, that's crap, dude. Let's just, you know, it's, you know, I, I mean, every, everyone knows at this point. Um, and if you don't now, you know that, you know, like I grew up in a cop family and so I have very, very, uh, specific beliefs and, and, and personally held examples and stuff of, um, uh, of law enforcement in the, in the positive. And so when it comes down to that stuff, I'm, I'm about as pro law enforcement of a guy as you'll ever see. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean I can't talk with someone who's anti. In fact, I have those conversations a lot. Or, well, yeah, bring it and bring it back around. That doesn't mean you couldn't write a character that comes from a background where they hate and mistrust the police. Oh no, actually that's pretty easy for me. Yeah. Or, or it'd be really easy. Like if you, so you want to write the story of some guy in the city and all his experience growing up has been, you know, like dealing with like, say the, you know, like a, like a really lousy, corrupt police department that treats people like crap and is authoritarian status, jack booted thugs, whatever it may be. And that's his whole experience. You could write that character, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Easily. Well, and, and in fact I would, right? Um, when you're creating characters who have deeply seated religious beliefs or political beliefs or the complete lack thereof. Yeah. Once again, not everybody believes in. Right. I mean, again, humanity is, you know, it's, it's every slice of the, it's every thin slice of the tomato. They're all over the place. Right. Um, it's, it's not interesting for me as the author and it's not interesting for me as the reader if every single character believes the same thing and agrees with each other, um, it's much or more, all, int- all the good characters, right, right, right. Believe the proper right thing. Right. Um, I'm much more interested in people who, um, so, so if I, if I do a, a you know, um, werewolf cop, for example, right. Um, he has a very specific set of beliefs. He's very Bosch. Okay. Um, everyone matters or no one does. Everyone matters or no one does. And, and, and as a, as a law enforcement guy, I mean, the good ones, this is, this is their belief, right? Um, you, you, you can't treat people differently just because you don't agree with them. But in the course of the story that I'll be writing for him and, and, and some of the stuff I've already written for him, he, he very much comes in contact with people who don't, who don't have that same, that same aspect and they're not bad guys. They're just other people. Some of them will, some of them are in the same department as him. All that does is it gives you a window into his mind, into the other characters' minds. It fleshes out the characters themselves, the world that they're that they're entrenched in. And so, when you're talking about religion or, or in in politics within the context of say sci-fi or fantasy, in my opinion, it's even more important. Because you can't, how are you, how are you going to create an entire world or an entire universe where politics and religion don't enter in and your characters don't have some sort of interaction with them? 
It doesn't make any sense to me. No, it's almost, it's, depending on your genre, it's going to be almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, now if you're writing like cozy romance mystery or whatever, probably it's probably not going to, the state of the world's not going to enter in. If you're writing epic fantasy, how could it not? Right. If you're writing sci-fi that's greater than the scope of just say like one ship on its mission, uh, you're going to get into that. Even then. Okay. Politics of the people. Look, on okay, yeah. okay. You and I, we have expressed on more than a gajillion occasions how much we love The Expanse. Love that show. Okay. The political outlook just on the Rosinante with all f- five of them, four of them, however many there are on that crew now. I can't remember. Depends on what season. Yeah. And, <laughs> and if you're talking about show versus, versus, uh, versus books, because um, Alex doesn't die in the books. Um, he got me too'd. Yeah. That's why he had to leave the show. So suddenly, yeah. Spoiler, sorry. But point is, the 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 outlook, politically speaking, just on that ship, is so different. Oh yeah. Holden is radically different than Amos, than Alex, than Naomi. Yeah. Right. You got a Martian, a Belter, an Earther, and a I don't give a crap. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and a sociopath. Yeah, and a sociopath. Who, I'll, I'll you know, happily kill any of them. Yeah, depending on the day. Yeah. But but it's interesting, right? Because because Alex or uh, Amos in the very beginning, he is more strongly al- um, allied with with Naomi, who's the Belter, and 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 he just kind of does. He kind of goes along with her and believes what she believes. But then by the end, uh, well, not by the end, by about it's uh, I think it's book five. There's there's this moment. Where Holden, um, Holden and, and Amos are talking, and Amos is like, "Look, I know you're going to do the right thing, and that seems like the best thing for me." Because Amos can't tell what the right thing he is. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. There's he, he he exists outside of right and wrong. Yeah, but he knows Holden's a paladin, like the paladin. He's paladin. straight up a paladin, so he's going to try to do the right thing every time. So if Amos follows him, he's going to do the right thing. Yeah, and and see if, to me, plus Naomi let him down. Yes, but to me politically, as far as characters go, dude, that that whole dynamic within that ship is super interesting. Yeah, super interesting. Um, and 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 of course the side characters as you go out, um. You know they're they're they are so wildly di- diverse and not not the D word that we no in not the way it's used not the today. fake shallow one but like the actual diversity of thought like like Fred yeah do you know so, I like, mean gosh dang. so so since this is like a master class in this um one one thing to think about is notice that there's like three main factions for most of the show right mm-hmm. yet those three factions aren't the good one the bad one the the no. neutral one no each one has its good and it's bad. Well, and and if they're bad, it's usually because you're in the head of the op- of the opposing viewpoint for a minute. Yep. For one to win, somebody else has to lose. Yeah. For one to get something, somebody has to take something from the other. Yeah, they, they keep playing that zero-sum game in it. And in Holden, Holden's whole thing is, this isn't a zero-sum game. Like, stop it. So it's really, so, so I think that show is probably like one of the better examples of what we're talking about. Actually to go sci-fi back a little bit further, Babylon 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like, like date myself how old I am here. Yes. Another great example. You got all, you got about six different alien races, each one vying for supremacy and fighting on this diplomatic thing. But you know what? None of them, none of them, well, until like the shadows come along, but none of them are like evil. They've all done evil things. 
They've all done stupid things. They've all mm-hmm. done good things. Each group is not made up of like, uh, that's one thing. It's like, if you have simplistic world building, it's like you have, which don't get me wrong, that's not bad either. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love having a horde of mindless orcs to slaughter. Okay. In a, in, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It depends on the kind of story you're telling. But if you're going for like, like realism stuff, people are different. People within a faction are going to be different. Yes. Um, there's going to be some that are more noble than others. or some that are more honorable than others. Some are dishonest. Some are honest. Some are scum. Um, and that's just how it is. And you could tell any kind of story by building on those blocks of that humanity. You know, because we want heroes. We want villains. You know, and I like writing about heroes. That's my, me personally. That's, that's, that's stuff I enjoy. Me too. I've never written a villain ever. No, Steve's, Steve's, Steve's heroes are villainous. That's a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you like, you if you something me and Steve wrote together, if somebody's just got like a, like a straight up hero, I probably wrote that part. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, just honestly, no. I mean, no. I I I do. I actually do quite quite like um, straight up heroes, but it's one is because of the the they tend to bring the the endings of hope and and virtue. But my other reason for that is because is because of the contrast they bring, um, them versus the villains, right? Uh, and, and this is the same sort of thing. Look, we're, we're, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to c- come right back. We'll get right back into it, um, you know, talking about this contrast of, of opinions and viewpoints and stuff like that, and, and also get into to some of the creation of characters, things that you can do to, to, to help bring these guys along. All right, we'll be right back. There's a mole in the agency. It's Christmas in New York City, but it's anything but a silent night. The mole is leaking classified information, and the agents are in danger of losing their anonymity. Worse, the more paranoid agents suspect they have identified the mole, Omega. Complicating matters, the Prime Minister of Lambda Andromeda 3 has arrived to negotiate a new trade agreement with Earth. Will Omega be able to refute the accusations? Will the internal conspiracy expose the agency? Who is responsible? And will the agency survive? A very unconventional Christmas by Stephanie Osborne. Division 1, Book 3. Available now on Amazon. Pick up your copy today. Alright everybody, welcome back. Um, okay. Top half, of, top half of the episode, we were talking about... You know, all... The various reasons why you actually want to have these things in there. Yeah, we're kind of pontificating in general. Yeah, and and then you know how interesting it is for for both you and I in terms of reading and writing. Um, why having these things causes us to enjoy the story more. Yeah, um, and of course, you know, we always we always go back to the expanse because it's That's awesome. Just a great, great. Yeah, it's all right, really good. So. For this chunk of the episode, this this latter back half of the episode, let let's start talking about different ways to bring these elements in. Yeah, get a little nuts and bolts. Yeah, let's here. get a little nuts and boltsy. Uh, fantasy. Want to do fantasy? Yeah, let's do fantasy. Okay. So so when building religious or political characters, we talked a little bit in the previous two episodes on the subject about building the religion, building the politics. Now, I think we got to do is when you're taking that character and you say, okay, this character needs, I need a character to represent faction X. 
all fantasy novels have factions, right? Sure. Yeah, it's just just like real life. You're going to have your different groups. So you're going to have this guy who belongs to a political or religious faction. I'd say first thing I do when I'm doing that is, what is he into there? I mean, because you got some people belonging to a faction just because it's fashionable. Sure. You know, some people belong to a faction because they're true believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it all depends on the kind of story you want to tell. So if it's like, this guy is politically, he's a member of the uh, the monarchists, you know, the monarchy party. Is he a member of that? Because he truly believes in the divine right of kings to rule this world. Yeah. You know, and is he like a true believer or is he just... Is all, he, yeah, is he the guy that goes to church on Easter only? Right. Was he born into it? Yeah. Or does he actually fight for it? Or conversely, is he in it because he wants to bring it down? Yeah. Or, or is he in it because there is uh, societal gains to be made from mm-hmm. it? He doesn't care who actually sits on the throne of such and such, but, but as long as he's on that winning team, you know, whatever it may be. That, that's very much the, the Kristoff in terms of the Kristoff character and servants as it comes to the country, the, yeah. you know, to, to Kolokovia. Well, it's interesting because Kristoff actually winds up being kind of a patriotic character. He, yeah. Because. He's, he's, I mean, he's patriotic in his, in his way. Right. Because, and the, the <laughs> thing is, as bad as he is, there's something worse. Yeah. Well, and, and he recognizes it's, it's, this is going to take down my country. That's bad. Yep. But also it'd be really cool if when it wasn't bad, if I was on top, yeah. that'd be rad. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, this other dude is a threat to my country. So I need to just stop him and also take his job. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, I'll, I would do it right. It's, it's multifaceted. Yeah. Right. Well, and also it's like, so like talk about political and religious. There's a character who's very nuanced politically, but religiously, eh. Well, he doesn't at, really. At the end of the book, he's like, now hold on. He literally <laughs> meets a God and who doesn't like him. Well, for good reason. And punishes him for his badness. He had it coming. And he's still not religious. No. You know? No. So you compare that to Alarian, who is he's a uh, was lackadaisical in his faith as a boy and believes that his lack of faith caused harm to his loved ones. And because of that, now he is... It's a, a, yeah, he has a weird crisis of faith going on. He does. So he's, he believes, absolutely, he's very faithful. Unfortunately, it's to a God who is kind of a bad, you know, I can't say, <laughs> we'd have to get out yeah, the beeper. We'd know, have to have Jack get out the profanity beeper. It is the Baba Yaga. It is the Baba bad. Yaga. She is not pleasant. <laughs> and so, so, there, so there's another thing there too. So it's all about... Where is that character coming from in relation to this? Now, like I said, we've, we've used bad examples. Uh, we talked about the Stephen King, all religious people are stupid, yeah, dumb yeah. idiots, you know. Sure. Uh, who are like, we're all just a bunch of dumb cultists, whatever. So I opened the episode with a quote from the dad from Footloose, okay? Actually, it wasn't for that, but, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, but here's the thing. The dad from Footloose is a great example of this. Because actually, the, the way that starts... He's just the bad guy. He's just the villain who won't let the kids have fun. Yep. He won't let them dance, Larry. He won't let them dance. He won't let them dance. Because he's a fundy Christian and they're all jerks. But if you actually watch the movie, there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. And there's a reason he's that way. And he is actually a man of faith who is actually trying to protect the youth of his town from doing dumb crap, which as we see in the movie, let's be honest, 
that his daughter is a train wreck. Okay, <laughs> his daughter is bad news. His daughter does some dumb crap in that movie. Like, and I can say this because my daughter uh, was in a play of Footloose, and so I actually watched this play many in high school many yeah. many times. I wound up watching this play. This is why I'm very familiar with Footloose, not because of the movie, but because of this. Because my daughter was in the play. That girl needed counseling. Okay, so really, her dad was actually right. <laughs> All right, and he was actually probably doing Kevin Bacon a favor, trying to keep him apart. Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, but I've seen some. But, but if you're going to write characters who are representative of a religion or political belief, have some nuance to it. And also, like we talked about on the first part of the episode, how there's different, uh, different like degrees of devotion and different and, and and good guys and bad guys in every group. Use that to your advantage. Not everybody in that faction needs to be the same. Right, right. I, for for me, for me, when I'm when I'm creating characters that are of these that they have their own whatever their beliefs are, the first thing I start doing, you know, character Wachowski, who's a fantasy blacksmith. I don't know, whatever. Sure. Run with it. Um, who who believes strongly in freedom of um, of enterprise. Okay. He just wants to run his blacksmith shop and he wants to sell his goods, his cool swords. You just had a sword made for you. That was rad. That was rad. Um, you know, he just wants to make these custom swords for the authors of the kingdom or something. Yeah. Um, I respect that. So what am I going to do? Okay. Well, I'm going to determine where are the points of opposition for him within there politically, economically, if, if he's a religious person, religiously, and, and I start, whatever his beliefs are, I start attacking them from various levels. What that allows me to do is it gives me the ability to, to have uh, moments of crisis, of, of thought and of faith, perhaps. Um, or um, I can have him completely fall and then, and then show a redemption arc. Or I can have him be like, nah, heck no. Like... You know, it, the old Captain America quote, no, you move, um, back when Captain America was cool. Yeah. And you get, by, by understanding the beliefs and where your character stands with those beliefs, it allows you to create int interesting moments of conflict and tension within your story. Um, okay, so, so let's talk about um, Ashok. Oh, okay. I love writing Ashok. He has a very strict belief system. Well, so I write this this series, and he evolves over it. That's actually the That's story. The point. It's Ashok's story, and so when I start the story, he is a perfect servant of the law. And this, we talk about religion and politics. This is one where politics has replaced religion. Religion is actually literally illegal. There is no religion allowed at all. It's been banned for a thousand years, rather brutally. Yeah. Um, they yeah. wouldn't let them dance. No, they would not let them. They are the dad from Footloose <laughs> times 10,000 with swords and fire. Now, but Ashok is a perfect servant of the law. And as the story comes out, it's because he was built to be that way. Right. He He's not an organic person who came to their beliefs naturally over time growing up. He was built. He was, uh, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but he's a human being who was placed in a position. He was chosen for something that he had no say when he was a little boy, but he was not the person for that job. Uh, 
So they made him into the person for that job. And in fact, they designed him to have a short shelf, uh, a short shelf life, basically. Yeah. Yeah. They designed him to, they, they took away his fear. So this is a little kid that was blessed by like a magical super weapon, kind of the Excalibur kind of thing. Excalibur said, this is the dude. Yeah. And he's like a, like a, like a, like a seven year old boy, but he's from, he's a castless. He's a, he's a blood scrubber. He's less than dirt. He's nothing. He's non-human. He's, he's legally, he's not even a person. Correct. He's livestock. Yes. And basically a magical super weapon says, this is my bearer. Now they can't just kill him. They can't murder him because then the magical super weapon will take offense and break. Yeah. It seems like it'd be bad. So they basically designed this guy to have a short shelf life. They fabricate a complete reality for him. They erase his memory. They, 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 they murder his entire family. They murder everyone who's ever known him. So it's a Hallmark movie. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. But so basically when we meet this character, he's fantasy judge dread. Yes. Because for the, because it's his short shelf life. Dude. And, and I've sold a lot of books next to you and I've sold a lot of your books next yeah. to you. Um, the instant you say, this is judge dread. In a fantasy world. Oh, yeah. Dude, people love that. Yeah. So Ashok Vidal has no fear and a super weapon and is basically an unkillable machine with perfect devotion to the law. And so he goes out there and he's just like killing everybody and, mm-hmm. and without compunction. But what happens is over time, the facade that they built, the foundation that they built, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to last that long. Yeah, it, it crumbles and he starts it seeing crumbles. what's really going on. And there's events that happen in his life that make him question uh, reality as he knows it. And it's like, I shouldn't have did this. I shouldn't have did that. Why did I do this? And and then he learns the reality. He learns the truth of where he comes from. And it like, it like cracks that foundation hard. Well, it makes him ask himself the hard questions. Yeah. So for you the know? first time ever in this guy's life all of a sudden it forces him to actually choose because before his choices were made because he was built to be perfectly reliable. He, he, if the law said this is what must be done, then he did it. He, he had no ability to fail. He had no ability to quit. There was no, there was no, he had, and also they took away his fear. So he had no fear of death. I mean, he had logic and he was very smart. He was rational. He was able to see if I do this, my odds of dying are very high, but the law requires it. It must be done. Yeah. You take that all away. And so what happened I've for the last five books now is this guy has been basically, this epic fantasy series is a bunch of stuff, but it's basically the story of one man learning how to be a human being. Well, and, and imagine how, with the way you've written that character, just imagine how drab it would be without the political beliefs and the deconstruction of his own beliefs where he has to learn, like you said, how to be human again. Well, because he went from like despising all religious people as criminals because they're, they're criminals, they must be killed. Well, and that, that was the way he was indoctrinated. Yeah, they were fanatics. Yeah. All fanatics must die. And right. so he killed a whole lot of fanatics. He was good at his job. Anybody who had any religious beliefs whatsoever, that's illegal, they had to go. He did that. And he, he this, this man burned a lot of villages. And so as it goes on though now, he winds up having to defend what he used to hate. He didn't didn't really hate him. It was just, was his job. And see, but see that that's compelling though. Right. I mean that again, going back to the word I like to use in fiction a lot, and that's the contrast of it. Yeah. The contrast of who he was versus who he is. Well, and for the secretly religious people, 
the same figure went from being like the most terrifying figure of their nightmares to being their protector. It's like you keep this secret, or Ashok Vidal will come get us. Yeah, he was their boogeyman. He was. He was the. They call. I mean, literally, they call him the Blackheart. That is yeah. what he is known throughout the land for all the crimes, not crimes, but all the many terrible things that he has done on yeah. behalf of the law. And now that guy gets flipped within a matter of about three years. This guy goes from being the ultimate boogeyman to, oh, by the way, now the boogeyman. He's on your side. He's on your side. <laughs> the boogeyman is on your side now. And so now, and so, so by now by book five, we've gone to the point where Ashok is still the man of principle that he's ever been, but now he's making his own law from scratch. Yeah. So I've taken from Judge Dredd to George Washington. Oh, <laughs> see, that's, that's a fantastic, that's a fantastic character arc pitch. Is is in this? He is. Uh, I love writing. I'm writing the last book right now, and yeah. I tell you, it's hard because wrapping up a series like this, there's so many threads and so many elements. I have to be so careful to get everything that matters. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a yeah. challenge. But I got a lot of people, religious people, political people, all sorts of different politics in this book. And in fact, some of them I introduce, and you're seeing. We talk about the expanse where they're seen from one side, and they're a villain. Heart of Adal. Yeah. Harta. Harta. Uh, so this dude, when you first hear of him, you hate him. He's a bad dude. He's a horrible person. But I got some scenes later with him and he's still a horrible person, but he's a horrible person for his family. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's the, he's the king basically of his people and he does what he must for his people. Even if that is bad for everybody else, by golly, he's going to do it. Well, uh, I know this isn't fantasy, but it's something that we both love. Um, it's, it's very much the way that that the character Art sees Raylan Givens and oh, Justified. Yeah, it's super good. There are there are moments in it where it's like where Art is is the dad that Raylan probably wishes he had. Yep. And then there are and 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 because of that though, there are moments where Art is just so profoundly disappointed in in Raylan, and you see it because because he sees in Raylan like such potential and such goodness yet stupid. He does the stupidest crap for the dumbest reasons. Yeah. Speaking of religion, that's a really good example. The religious stuff too, like different angles. So you got one angle, you got Boyd Cowder out there quoting the scriptures is basically, he's the devil quoting the scriptures. But there's that one scene where they're, they're interrogating Boyd Crowder in the marshal's office and Boyd Crowder says something like pseudo religious and art gets up and leaves. And he comes back with a big old Bible, big yeah. old leather Bible, and that's obviously well read. And he slams it down on Boyd's hands, slams it down on Boyd's hands. He's like, where does it say that? Get the pull up the verse. Where does it say that? Well, and and, and he's disgusted. And he goes, guys like you give us Christians a bad name. Well, and and there is never a single scene in the entire series that shows art in church. No, no, never. Closest you get is he's listening to Rush Limbaugh <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> it's it's really interesting, right? Because you you have these characters, the the way they look at people, the way they act with people, um, their interactions and such. If you don't, if you don't have those those religious beliefs or those political beliefs that can either be competing or or even slightly aligned. Man, you don't get great scenes like that. No. It had so much depth. 
No, it's like, so there you get two different perspectives of people who would both be labeled Christian. Yeah. Only one is a charlatan, which you don't even know if Boyd's a charlatan because you can you can't tell what Boyd believes at any given time. Like even Raylan says at one point, is like, I don't know if you actually believe this crap that you're saying. Or... Well, that's one of the opening scenes. Yeah, you don't know with him. You never know because he because he's such a he's such a con. You know, it's, it's kind of like that uh, that Joker scene in the Joker scenes in in uh, Dark Knight. Where Heath Ledger is, he's talking about his origin. And oh, it's like and seven his, different and origins, different, or, different every time he tells it. Yeah, yeah. Like that's kind of how Boyd is, right? Like you, you never quite know what he believes, right? Um, and that, and that's a cool, interesting character in and of itself, because that person who, who you think that maybe there is a seed of of something there uh, some sort of seed but it's been so corrupted and polluted by all of the other bad crazy crap he's doing that he just kind of his political beliefs are whatever it needs to make him succeed to right. make him money and that is a system unto itself that creates that can create a very compelling villain um okay uh this episode is going to be a little bit shorter today because um we're tired and um, and we're prepping for a convention here that's in just a little bit. Yeah, we actually are going to 20 books uh, in Las Vegas. And we're going to try to interview a whole bunch of people there like we did with Liberty Con. Where we got, I think, eight episodes recorded. Seven of which we actually were able to keep. Oh, Massa. Because Sorry, there's, there's the legendary Mike Massa the lost, lost episode. episode. Um, so, um, look. We hope that... that that through this episode you you see just how excited we get when we start talking about creating characters and and putting them in situations of where where they have to deal with things and, and people of a political or religious nature um and you know and of course you know talking about some of the different types of of tropes and arcs that you can use with for those characters in those situations so anyway hope you liked it um, if you have any questions or you, you, you know you want us to explore it a little bit further in a different way, shoot us a question. It's fine if you're a supporter of the podcast, which you can do by you know contributing to the brisket fund. Uh, you can you can do that, and we always answer the questions from our supporters. Um, so we we appreciate you all. Thank you guys so much. Um, hope you enjoyed the episode, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Naibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. <laughs> That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Wow. <laughs> That's got to be satire. It has to be. That right? has to be. Nobody's that stupid.